Here we are. It's Monday. And yes, I'm alive. Made it out alive from Cal State Los Angeles. We will talk about that. Plus, Donald Trump completely implodes over the Ku Klux Klan. But who really cares at this point? Primaries are tomorrow. How are those going to go? We'll talk about all of that. And yes, I promise we will get to the Oscars. So a chock full Ben Shapiro show. I am Ben Shapiro. Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. All righty then. Okay, so we begin today with Donald Trump. And I promise there's so much to get to, folks. We're going to speed through all of it because that's what we do here. We get through more material than any seven shows put together. All right. So on Sunday, Donald Trump, who is currently leading in, last I checked, I think it's 11 out of 12 or 10 out of 12 of the primary states that are supposed to take place, Super Tuesday tomorrow, Donald Trump was on CNN with Jake Tapper. And this is an important story. So he was on with Jake Tapper, and I don't tend to follow the news too much on Sundays because that's my day to not pay attention to the news, and especially given what happened last week, it was sort of my weekend off. Well, that ended when I checked Twitter, always a mistake, and I saw that people were talking about Donald Trump and the KKK, and I figured, okay, this has got to be another media hit job, right? I mean, come on, Donald Trump, KKK, you got to be kidding me. Here's what happened. Donald Trump goes on CNN with Jake Tapper, and here's Jake Tapper asking Donald Trump what is in essence, a gotcha question. And it is a gotcha question. There's no question about this because how many questions was Barack Obama asked about Louis Farrakhan supporting him? How many questions has Bernie Sanders been asked about the Communist Party supporting him? The answer is none, of course. But Donald Trump is asked about David Duke supporting his run for the presidency. David Duke, of course, a former leader in the KKK, the racist organization. And here is Donald Trump answering this series of questions. And I'll explain why this is important in a moment. Here we go. I want to ask you about the Anti-Defamation League, which this week called on you to publicly condemn unequivocally the racism of former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke, who recently said that voting against you at this point would be treason to your heritage. Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists in this election? Well, just so you understand, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Because, you know, I know nothing about David Duke. I know nothing about white supremacists. And so you're asking me a question that I'm supposed to be talking about people that I know nothing about. But I guess the question from the, from the Anti-Defamation League is, even if you don't know about their endorsement, there are these groups and individuals endorsing you. Would you just say unequivocally you condemn them and you don't want their support? Well, I have to look at the group. I mean, I don't know what group you're talking about. You wouldn't want me to condemn a group that I know nothing about. I'd have to look. If you would send me a list of the groups, I will do research on them. And certainly I would disavow if I thought there was something wrong. The but you Ku may Klux have Klan? groups in there that are totally fine and it would be very unfair. So give me a list of the groups and I'll let you know. Okay. I mean, I'm just talking about David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan here, but... I don't know. Any, honestly, I don't know David Duke. I don't believe I've ever met him. I'm pretty sure I didn't meet him, and I just don't know anything about him. I don't know anything about him. Okay, so when I first saw this clip, I figured, okay, Trump really is a dumbass, so this is possible. I mean, he's an ignoramus. It's possible he doesn't know anything about David Duke. I assume he's heard of the KKK. And so I first tweeted out that perhaps this was sort of an overstated scandal. You know, maybe Trump, I, I gave Trump the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's really dumb. He doesn't understand who David Duke is. He doesn't understand what's going on. And then I did about five minutes of research, and I had to delete those tweets. And that's because, for example, here is Donald Trump on Friday being asked the exact same question, two days before that pathetic showing on Jake Tapper. Here we go. 
I didn't even know he endorsed me. David Duke endorsed me? Okay. All right. I disavow. Okay? Uh, I disavow. Okay, so he clearly knows who David Duke is. And then back in August 2015, he was interviewed by Mark Halperin on Bloomberg News. And here is Donald Trump being asked about David Duke at that point. At the same time, we've heard this week that David Duke has come out, former leader of the Grand Dragon, wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, come out and said he's supportive of your candidacy. So my first question is, why do people like that? like Donald Trump. And second, how do you feel about the David Duke quasi-endorsement? I don't know the answer to the first. Who knows why? But I don't need his endorsement. I certainly wouldn't want his endorsement. I don't need anybody's endorsement. Would you, I'm not would looking you for... repudiate David Duke? Sure. I would do that if it right. made you feel better. Right. I would certainly repudiate. I don't know anything about him. Uh, somebody told me yesterday, whoever he is, he did endorse me. And actually, I don't think it was an endorsement. He said I was absolutely the best of all the candidates, but, if you, but if you I read wouldn't the, want it. But if you read this story and read a lot of people who are white, in, in organized white supremacist groups talking uh, bulliantly about you, talking why they, about they, why they like you so much, would that trouble you at all? Does that give you pause, make you wonder about your message? Honestly, John, I'd have to read the story. Uh, a lot of people like me. You know, in the poll that just came out in New Hampshire, where I'm a very high number, 35%, uh, the people like me across the board, evangelicals like me, the Democrats like me, right. liberals like me, Absolutely. conservatives like me. Absolutely. Everybody likes and me. And this is only, obviously, nice only, a, like this only a small subset. But, okay. but curing so we can that stop doesn't it make here. you so worry. He, the, the bottom line is that even there, he says he doesn't know that much about Duke, but he'll disavow him. Right? It's back in August 2015, so clearly he doesn't have to know him that well in order to disavow. And by the way, back in 2000, Donald Trump specifically said he would not join the Reform Party. He wouldn't run on their ticket because David Duke was part of the Reform Party. So clearly he knows who David Duke is. Clearly he knows who David Duke is. And clearly he knows who the KKK is. You don't have to be some sort of genius to figure out that the KKK is a bunch of racists. And the fact is that Ronald Reagan was asked this exact same question back in 1984, and Ronald Reagan answered this question very differently. In 1984, Ronald Reagan was asked this, and here is Ronald Reagan's direct quote. Quote, those of us in public life can only resent the use of our names by those who seek political recognition for the repugnant doctrines of the hate they espouse. The politics of racial hatred and religious bigotry practiced by the Klan and others have no place in this country and are destructive of the values for which America has always stood. So that's how you get it right. Donald Trump didn't. So all of this begs a question. And the question it begs, I don't think that Donald Trump is a big KKK fan. The question that this begs is, why didn't Donald Trump do on Sunday what he did on Friday? Why not just say, I disavow? Why not just say, I have nothing to do with David Duke. What David Duke does is David Duke's business. I don't like David Duke. If he likes me, I can't do anything about that. Why not just drop that and then say to Tapper, and by the way, the fact you're asking me about this again and again and again demonstrates how desperate the media is to tie me to extreme figures like David Duke and to white supremacist groups like the KKK. Why didn't Trump do that? Why didn't he? So two theories as to why Trump didn't do that. First theory is the personal theory. Donald Trump, you can sort of see it at work in that, in that 2015 interview. Donald Trump is excited anytime anyone likes him. Anytime anybody likes Donald Trump, that person rises several points in his estimation. They become just a better person, a more important person in his estimation. And so David Duke can't be all bad. After all, he likes Trump, right? Vladimir Putin can't be all bad. After all, he likes Trump. So that's possible explanation number one. Possible explanation number two is a little bit more nefarious and significantly more troubling. And that is the possibility that Donald Trump recognizes that he has a heavy base of support among white supremacists and that those white supremacists would be ticked off if he disavowed them. And I speak here from personal experience, given that I would say 
two-thirds of my Twitter mentions this week have come from white supremacist Trump supporters. This is not to suggest that the vast majority of people who like Trump are white supremacists. They're not. This isn't to suggest that a huge, percentages, a huge percentage of people who like Trump are white supremacists. That's not true. But it is to suggest that there is not an, a not insignificant subset of Donald Trump supporters who are, in fact, white supremacists, who hate Jews, who hate blacks, who hate Mexicans. And this, is, this should be troubling to you. This should be troubling to you when he refuses to disavow them. Again, he could say what Reagan did. I have nothing to do with these people. If they like me, they like me. I can't help that. But he didn't do that. Instead, he sort of embraced them. And he quasi embraced them. And that's deeply troubling to me and very upsetting because I've really spent this entire race. I've said a lot of things about Donald Trump, a lot of things about Donald Trump. But I really haven't gone after Donald Trump supporters. I haven't said that Donald Trump supporters are rubes or idiots. I haven't said that Donald Trump supporters are nasty or mean. I've said that they're angry people who are being suckered by a con man, essentially. And I understand their anger. I just don't think that their, their draw to Trump as a conservative is a smart one. I don't think he's trustworthy. In fact, I think he's so non-trustworthy that I did a full-on six-minute video that we'll talk about a little bit later in the program that's, that's now got in excess of 1.5 million views online about why Donald Trump ought not be trusted. And here's Donald Trump the day after this, this hit on CNN. Here's Donald Trump trying to walk it back. How does he walk it back? In the most pathetic possible way. Here he is on Good Morning America. But in 2000, you refused to run on the Reform Party platform because David Duke was a member of it. David Duke, a day before at a major press conference, and I'm saying to myself, how many times do I have to continue to disavow people? And the question was asked about David Duke and various groups. And I don't know who the groups are. I said, would you do me a favor and tell me the groups? He was unable to tell me He that. says, I'm just in, talking in about meantime, David Duke it, and the Ku Klux Klan here. And you said, honestly, I well, don't know let, David let Duke. You. Okay, so let me tell you. I'm sitting in a house in Florida with a very bad earpiece that they gave me. Oh. And you could hardly hear what he was saying. But what I heard was various groups. And I don't mind disavowing anybody. And I disavowed David Duke. And I disavowed him the day before at a major news conference which is surprising because he was at the major news conference, CNN was at the major news conference, and they heard me very easily disavow David Duke. Now I go and I sit down again, I have a lousy earpiece that is provided by them, and frankly, he talked about groups, he also talked about groups, and I have no problem with disavowing groups, but I'd at least like to know who they, who they are. It would be very right. fair to disavow a group, Matt, if the group shouldn't be disavowed. I have to know who the groups are, but I disavowed David Duke. Now, if you look on Facebook, right after that, I also disavowed David Duke. When we looked at it and looked at the question, I disavowed David Duke. So I've disavowed David Duke all weekend okay, long okay, on okay, Facebook. Okay, so on shop, shop, shop. okay, so his, so his earpiece is what did him in. It was a magic earpiece in which he perfectly heard every question and answered every question, and there appeared to be no communications difficulty at any time during that interview, and yet it was the earpiece that did him in. Okay, if you believe that, then I suppose you should just go right ahead and vote for Donald Trump, who is a dishonest human being, a truly dishonest human being. How do I know he's dishonest? Apparently, according to BuzzFeed today, the New York Times is sitting on an audio recording that some of its staff believes could deal a serious blow to Trump, who in an off-the-record meeting with the newspaper called into question whether he would stand by his own immigration views. Trump visited the paper's Manhattan headquarters on Tuesday, January 5th, part of a round of editorial board meetings that, as is traditional, the Democratic candidates for president and some of the Republicans attended. The meetings, conducted partly on the record, partly off the record, give candidates a chance to make their pitch for the paper's endorsement. The Times released a portion of the recording, but that was from the on-the-record part. On Saturday, 
On Saturday, a columnist for the New York Times floated a bit of speculation. The most optimistic analysis of Trump as a presidential candidate is that he just doesn't believe in positions except the ones you adopt for strategic purposes when you're making a deal. So apparently, they say, uh, he says, obviously you can't explain how you're going to deport 11 million undocumented immigrants because it's going to be the first bid in some future monster negotiation session. In other words, Trump may have told the New York Times this, and the New York Times won't release the audio. Of course they won't, because they want to see Trump as the nominee. Because the fact is that Trump is super vulnerable. How vulnerable is Trump? Well, you know what? Let's use that video of me talking about how vulnerable Trump is. This is clip 28. This is, this is the video of me that we put out last week and has at least a million and a half views thus far, and we'll have many more by the time we're done talking about how Donald Trump is, in fact, a liar. We'll only play a little bit of it, but you'll see sort of the tenor of it. Donald Trump is fun to watch. He bashes the establishment, and they totally deserve it. He's the biggest man in the race. He's the roughest, toughest bastard out there, and he tells it just like it is. Except he doesn't, because as entertaining as Donald Trump is, Donald Trump is a liar. Who does he lie to? First, evangelicals. Trump says he loves the evangelicals, that the Bible is his favorite book. It's even better than Art of the Deal. Forget the fact Trump couldn't even name his favorite Bible verse. Focus in on the fact that Trump said he never asks for God's forgiveness. Here are just some of the things Trump isn't repenting for. Bragging about his, quote, experiences with women, often seemingly very happily married and important women. Cheating on his first wife, Ivana, after considering asking her for an open marriage. Supporting partial birth abortion until about five minutes ago, refusing to label abortion murder, and stating that Planned Parenthood does terrific work. Writing, quote, Oftentimes, when I was sleeping with one of the top women in the world, I would say to myself, thinking about me as a boy from Queens, can you believe what I am getting? And it continues Same like this. Quote, we don't need to play the whole thing, but this is the point. If you want to watch the whole thing, you can go to Facebook. You can go to dailywire.com. It's up there. It's six minutes, and it's a pretty comprehensive case against Trump. Trump is a liar. Donald Trump is a liar. Now, I do want to comment on one thing. Today, Milo Yiannopoulos, he and I are friends, and, uh, and Milo discovered, thanks to one of Milo's apparently white supremacist supporters, that I had written a column back in 2011 in which I talked about Donald Trump in pretty glowing terms, right, in 2011. And the way that people became knowledgeable about this column is because on February 9th, I tweeted out myself to remind people that I had written this about Trump circa 2011, because the point that I was making is that Donald Trump circa 2011, and even when he got into this race, was a candidate who had tremendous staying power. And if he had an ounce of discipline, and if he had an ounce of actual conservatism to him, then he might be somebody that I would consider. He is not. He is, he, he is what campaigns do is they strip away layers. And what this campaign has shown Donald Trump to be is an unprincipled liar willing to say anything and do anything in order to achieve his political purposes. He, he has skills when it comes to taking down the media, but he's also somebody who really will do pretty much anything to attain victory and then even more than that in order to in order to push forward his personal power. Well, meanwhile, the other candidates are beginning to catch on to this. And so Marco Rubio has has really gone on the offensive against Trump and good for Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida. He smacked Donald Trump over the KKK flap today. Here's what Marco Rubio had to say about it. One of the reasons why he said he wasn't going to run is because David Duke was part of the Reform Party. So he knows exactly who David Duke is. He was asked this morning two times, will you repudiate and condemn the Ku Klux Klan? And he refused to do that as well. We not be a party that nominates someone who refuses to condemn white supremacists and the Ku Klux Klan. We cannot be a party that does that. 
And all of this is, of course, true. Marco Rubio also has been going after Trump in very personal terms, which, Marco, I'm so glad you read my column. I mean, it's clear. I've been saying for weeks here the only way you're going to defeat Trump is by kicking him repeatedly in the nuts. And that's essentially what, what Rubio has done. So Rubio's gone to the extent of actually mocking Trump's genitalia size. Here's, here's Rubio doing exactly that. We've told the stubby fingers story about Trump before, that Trump is very sensitive about his supposedly stubby fingers. Uh, apparently, way back when, a parody magazine made fun of him, and they, they called him a stubby-fingered Bulgarian. And ever since then, he sent pictures of his hands to the editor of that magazine, circling his fingers with a gold sharpie and writing normal fingers and signing it Donald Trump. So Rubio's caught on to that. Here's, here's Rubio going after Trump in this fashion. His hands are the size of someone who's 5'2". And you know what they say about men with small hands? You can't trust them. <laughs> and so good, good, for, good for Rubio. It's not just Rubio, by the way. My boy Ted Cruz, the guy who I'm backing in the primaries, and I'll explain why I, I suggest that I'm supporting him in the primaries, but I'm not endorsing. I, I don't endorse candidates because I endorse ideologies. And for me, the candidate who's electorally viable, who best reflects my ideology, is the person that I support at the time. The moment that Cruz becomes not viable, then I'll shift my support, right? And the moment that just like the moment that Rubio becomes not viable, I would shift my secondary support to Rubio. So the, so the, the whole point here is that, that I, I support Cruz over Rubio in the primaries, but I'm not going to endorse anybody because if Cruz came out tomorrow and decided that he didn't like conservatism, I would throw him by the side of the train tracks immediately. Anyway, here is, here is, Mark, here is Ted Cruz doing the same thing to, to, Ted, to, uh, to Donald Trump as well. Here he is. And what do you think of his, his statement that he believes he might be targeted by the IRS because he's a Christian? Well, I, I think his statement, nobody heard it at any reaction other than laughter. Um, listen, I've released now nine years of taxes. Donald Trump has not released any of his tax information. He needs to release his tax information. And, and the fact that he's refusing to do so really suggests, as Mitt Romney pointed out, that there may be a bombshell in there, that there's something he's hiding. Now, now, it could be an awful lot of media outlets have reported. Well, a lot of media outlets have reported that he doesn't make nearly as much money as he says he does. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe the, the fact is that Mitt Romney is richer than Donald Trump. We don't know, but, but he's clearly hiding something. On the other hand, it could be donations to liberal groups like Planned Parenthood. At every debate, it seems, he praises Planned Parenthood. Maybe he's written them a bunch of checks. Uh, or, or, you know, maybe there are other issues. You know, you know for example, there have been multiple media reports about Donald's business dealings with the mob, with the mafia. Okay, Maybe his so, tax returns show that those business dealings are a lot more extensive than So Cruz and Rubio were going really, really hard after Trump, and, and Trump totally deserves it. And hopefully it will have some impact on the polls, although I doubt it. It's very late in the game at this point. Over the weekend, by the way, we saw Chris Christie, the man who may be most responsible for the demise of the republic over the last eight years, Chris Christie doesn't hug Obama during Hurricane Sandy in the midst of a presidential election. Mitt Romney might be president right now. And now Chris Christie, who, who spent an enormous amount of time bashing Donald Trump during the debates and before, suddenly he has endorsed Donald Trump. He did that immediately after the, uh, immediately after the debate last week. So here we didn't have a chance to review the debate even, but it, my, my general take was that Trump looked weak. He looked, he looked vacillating, but I'm not sure how much it's going to matter. For the full rundown, you can go to dailywire.com. In any case, Chris Christie, let, let's start with what Chris Christie originally said about Donald Trump. So that would be clip 10, if we can get that one. 
Skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. Uh, you want ratings? Christie is ratings. Ratings, Megan. Governor. Total always, ratings. It's big. Fun. Big. Very big. How's that? Is that good? Yeah. Okay, and he did that repeatedly throughout the campaign. It was Christie bashing Trump as, as incoherent, as stupid, and now all of a sudden he's he's in favor of Trump and he's bashing Rubio. So he's he's the new attack dog. Right after Marco Rubio smacked around Donald Trump, Trump walks out Chris Christie to be his attack dog. And here's what it looks like when Christie's doing the attack dog routine against Marco Rubio. I saw Senator Rubio just saying, just saying that he, that he is going to work every minute he can to become the nominee for president. Will that be a real switch for Senator Rubio since he doesn't work much at all? Now, I'm not just making this stuff up. Let me tell you exactly what Marco Rubio's done since he's been a United States senator. Seems to me, when you're a senator and you're on some committees, you should actually show up for work. Do you have to show up for work? Well, okay, let's so he's see doing what Marco this Rubio did. Right, so you got Christie on the campaign trail going after, going after Marco Rubio on behalf of Donald Trump. And here's Chris Christie praising Donald Trump. Here's why he thinks that Donald Trump is just such a spectacular candidate now. Here we go. Um, third, there is no doubt in my mind uh, and I've been saying this right from the time I entered the campaign, that the single most important thing for the Republican Party is to nominate the person who gives us the best chance to beat Hillary Clinton. I can guarantee you that the one person that Hillary and Bill Clinton do not want to see on that stage come next September is Donald Trump. They know how to run the standard political playbook against uh, junior senators um, and run them around the block. They do not know the playbook with Donald Trump because he is rewriting the playbook. He is rewriting the playbook of American politics because he's providing strong leadership that's not dependent upon the status quo. Okay, so and he just so, keeps talking uh, about strong leadership this and strong leadership that. Trump is a strong man. I'm a strong man. Strong men love other strong men in gay pornography. And therefore, Donald Trump and, and Chris Christie are two, two peas in a pod. It's just, it, it's, it makes you kind of, it makes your stomach a little bit churn that Chris Christie was considered at one point the great white hope for the Republicans because he really is a pathetic person. And, and here's Chris Christie, by the way, being pathetic. Over the weekend, he was supposed to defend Donald Trump as his surrogate, and here's how that went with George Stephanopoulos. It was not pretty. During your campaign, you ran as a straight-talking truth-teller, specific answers to America's challenges, and, and here's what you, tell, you told voters to question Mr. Trump. I tell everybody who goes to a Donald Trump event, if you get to ask a question, just ask him how. First, he says he's going to build a wall across the entire border between the United States and Mexico. How? How is he going to make the Mexicans pay for the wall? How? They are a sovereign nation. You're backing him now. What's the answer? The answer is he will do it. Um, How? The fact, is, yeah, the, the fact is that he's going to have to answer that question. And he will. You know, George, this is, a February, this is February of a campaign. And, and, and let's say this. Um, you look at everybody else on that stage. Um, and there have been many more specifics from a lot of other folks on that stage. Um, and that was part of my argument during the campaign. But there I am as somebody who's running wait for president making eight, my argument. We're eight months into this campaign. The wall has been his signature issue. He says it's his go-to line whenever he needs applause. You've now had the Mexican president, two former Mexican president, the Mexican foreign minister in the Washington Post this morning calls this a racist, ignorant, and absurd proposal. You know that Mexico's not going to pay. Well, listen, George, um, that's what would you expect Mexico to say? That's, of course, what they're going to say.
Um, and, so what's and the mechanism? How, how is Donald Trump going to force Mexico to pay? Listen, I think that there is great ways to be able to use diplomacy and other tools to be able to come to compromise with nations that are both our neighbors and around the world. Um, and we'll work on those things. And that's what leadership does. Oh, Strong oh. leadership is able to exert those things and be able to talk to folks about what advantages and disadvantages are of certain policies. The fact of the matter is that there won't be any question about Mr. Trump's strength and his resoluteness in terms of getting the things done that he's wanted to get done. That's what his whole career well, has shown. The, uh, how, how? That's the standard well, that's, you set. I, and it is the standard I set, and he will answer that question. But, you know, to me, I'm not answering the question for him this morning. That's his. That's the way he will answer it. Okay, but he hasn't. There, enough. So clearly Christie has no answers. The only reason he's endorsing Trump is because Trump promised him the attorney general slot or the VP slot or something. And I just can't imagine anything worse, anything worse than going to Cleveland in the middle of Cleveland, in the middle of the summer, to hang out with Chris Christie and Donald Trump as he takes the nomination for the Republican Party. We'll get back to Cleveland in a little while when he gets to some things that I like. Okay, so that's all the chaos on the Republican side of the aisle. Jeff Sessions, by the way, who is a good guy, but is a strong immigration guy, and so that's really his only issue. He endorsed Trump as well. Ted Cruz, meanwhile, has not been endorsed by anybody, which is the reason why I prefer Ted Cruz in this race. He's a consistent constitutional conservative. Trump is not. I, I'm increasingly believing that Trump is actually a, a disreputable individual, a disreputable man. And this election, which is going to be between a, a deeply non-principled demagogue and the most corrupt woman in the history of American politics, is just – it makes your stomach churn and makes you want to throw up a little bit. I'm still considering the, – the, there was a hashtag that was trending over the weekend, Never Trump. People were asking why I wasn't using it. The reason I'm not using it is because there still is going to be at least one, maybe up to three, judicial nominees for the Supreme Court. If we're going to have a crappy president, we might as well have a crappy president who is 50% likely to appoint somebody decent to the Supreme Court as opposed to a crappy president who is 100% likely to appoint somebody far left to the Supreme Court, destroying the Constitution from within. So if given the choice between Trump and, and Hillary, I would have to go with Trump. But that is, again, as I've said, no, I would vote for a flaming bag of dog crap over over Hillary Clinton. I guess Donald Trump is going to make me actually do that. So that's so that's a little bit disheartening. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, the the Democratic Party is having its own issues, and it would be laughable if it weren't for the chaos in the Republican Party. Tulsi Gabbard is an up and coming Democratic Congresswoman from Hawaii. She has a military background, and she was the vice president of the Democratic National Committee. She actually left the DNC on Sunday and said that she backed Bernie Sanders. Here's what she had to say about it to Tom Green. Tulsi Gabbard. Congresswoman from Hawaii, Democratic National Committee Vice Chair, has been at odds with her boss, DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz, for months over the Democratic presidential debate schedule. Congresswoman, you're here because you have an announcement to make regarding your position at the DNC. Tell us. Uh, well, first of all, I am resigning from the DNC so that I can support Bernie Sanders for president. I'd like to tell you why. Uh, as a veteran uh, and as a soldier, I've seen firsthand the true cost of war. I served in a medical unit during my first deployment where every single day uh, I saw firsthand the very high human cost of that war. I see it in my friends who now a decade after we've come home mm -hmm. uh, are still struggling to get out of a black hole. Uh, I think it's most important for us as we look at our choices as to who our next commander-in-chief will be is to recognize the necessity to have a commander-in-chief who has foresight, who exercises good judgment. Mm -hmm who looks beyond uh, the consequences, who looks at the consequences of the actions that they are looking to take before they take those actions so that we don't continue to find ourselves in these failures that have resulted in chaos uh, in the Middle East uh, and so much loss of life. But, you know, it was just a month ago, 
and this was sort of got, got us curious about a month ago, you said you think the next commander-in-chief needs to have a, quote, military mindset. You said this during an interview uh, on Fox News. Does Senator Sanders have a military mindset? From what I've seen, from talking with him and from his record, he does. And what that military <laughs> mindset means is oh boy. you go through an analysis process. It's a chaos on the other side, too, but nobody's paying attention to the chaos because the Republican frontrunner refuses to condemn the KKK. And then the next day, he condemns the KKK. He says he's tough on immigration, and then the next day, it comes out in BuzzFeed that he's telling the New York Times he has no intention of deporting people. This whole thing is a joke, and it's, and it's a sad joke. And people who are buying into the idea that they can trust Trump, I understand people get emotionally tied to candidates. I don't. Okay, the minute that Ted Cruz goes down, the minute he's no longer electorally viable, I'll find another conservative who I think is electorally viable. And the minute that person goes down, I'll find another conservative I think is electorally viable. But I do not worship candidates, and you should not either if you're a conservative. It is a non-conservative thing to do. And note to my good friend Milo, who calls Donald Trump daddy, as a, I assume as a, as a joke, because Milo's a funny guy. He calls Trump daddy. Okay, no, I will never call a politician daddy. I will never call a politician daddy because the fact is that they're not my daddy. You know, I have a father, and I don't worship my own father either. You know, the fact is that the only, there's only one thing that I worship on planet Earth and outside planet Earth, and that is God. Other than that, I have no worship for anyone, and that certainly holds true for these politicians, especially politicians like Trump, who is, in fact, a massive, massive liar who has shifted his position at every available opportunity. Okay. Enough of that. Let's move on to what happened at Cal State Los Angeles because we have so much material to work through here. So to, to recap, last week, last Monday, the president of Cal State Los Angeles, a state-funded university, suggested, didn't suggest, he said, we're canceling the speech that you're doing at Cal State LA. It had been planned for, for weeks in advance. The students had done a great job of getting out the word, and he canceled it because he didn't like what I had to say. And I told him he could go screw himself. We talked about this last week. And then I said I was going to head to campus. Now, we had no clue what was going to happen when I got there. You know, was, he, was I going to be arrested for trespass for no apparent reason, for exercising free speech rights he had already agreed to? What was going to happen? About an hour and a half before the event, we got word that the president of the university had announced that he had uncanceled the event, that the event would move forward as scheduled. The media, by the way, skipped in this story the part where I told him to screw himself. They went from he canceled it to he uncanceled it. There was no intervening event where I said, screw yourself because that would show that he's a weakling. So in any case, he uncancels the event, and he says, don't worry, there will be security, and everything will be safe and secure. We get in the car, and we're on the ride over, me and Lindsay and Candace and all like a bunch of people from the office, because at this point, it's become basically a circus. And we've got a couple of security guys in the car, and we're getting notices that people are, are getting very rowdy, and it's getting very ugly, and we're being told that we have to be sneaked in. I, I want to enter through the front, right, like any normal speaker would. I'm being told I can't, because the protesters have barricaded the doors and prevented anybody from getting in. These protesters were, were literally stacked up against the door. You can see it's like 50, 60, 70 people. Again, this is the back door, not the front door, right? They're, they're backed up against the back door so people can't get in. And then there are other parts of the, of the building where people are protesting and, and just it's, it's chaos. It's madness and it's violence. People are actually getting beaten up. One of the reporters from Breitbart News was assaulted three separate times. There, there's a guy I know who, who I spoke to. I, I don't know him. I know him now. I spoke to him after this happened. He's a guy with apparently nerve damage. So he's semi-disabled. He was assaulted by the protesters. There are helicopters swirling. There's, there's cops everywhere for little old me. And, uh, and so, you know, I get in there, and 
they're smuggling the students in four at a time through a back door because this is how free speech now works at a state-funded university on America's college campuses. The kids have to be smuggled in to hear an opposing point of view. Smuggled. Seriously. Like, they had a back door open, and they were smuggling the kids through this maze of hallways four at a time so that they could come and sit down. So we decide that we can either wait two hours for them to smuggle everybody in, and there's no guarantee they even do that, or I can just start the speech on time. So I start the speech about 15, 20 minutes late. I do my speech, which has been viewed. You can go to Daily Wire. We posted it there. And it's been viewed something like half a million times. There were 60,000 people who watched at least part of it live. And then at the very end, I said to the kids, do you want to go out there into the protesters? I was all ramped up, and so were they. And they said, yeah, let's do it. I said, well, let me go ask security. And I go back, and there are 20 uniformed cops in back just to protect me, which is flattering, but, I mean, also sad and pathetic that this is a college. I pay taxes for these idiots to go to school. And the, and the cops tell me, we can't guarantee your safety or that of the students if you go out there. In other words, they might rush us. My security guy says, you know, we might take down the first two guys who come at us, but there's no guarantee we take down number three. And my security guy is an Israeli guy, big guy. He says, I've seen mobs before. This is no longer just a crowd of protesters. This is now a full-on mob. This is now a full-on mob, and they are going to, to do violence. If, if, if one punch gets thrown, this is no longer a protest. This is now a riot. And we'll show you some more of this footage because this is what it was like out there. Here's, here's what it looked like in the hallway. Okay, for folks who can't see, it's a massive crowd, people pushing and shoving. It's actual incidents of assault going on and, and battery going on in this crowd. Okay, it's not just this clip. This doesn't give you a good long shot of the hallway, but let's go to the next clip and we can show you what was happening there as well. Nobody could even get in. These people were locked out in the hallway. That's because people had barricaded themselves across the door, and the police were so scared that there was going to be a break-in into the auditorium that they locked the doors from the inside to smuggle these kids in from the back. We can move on to the next clip as well. And trying to hurt him, and it was it was it was very very intense. It was a very intense experience. Everybody in the office who was there sort of felt I had the worst headache of my life on Friday. I mean, I woke up and it felt like I had just been in a car accident. I mean, it was it was very uh, it was an unpleasant situation. And they told me they had to smuggle me out through a separate building with ten officers in in tow, and uh, and stuffed me in the back of a vehicle. And I couldn't wave to the. They said don't wave to the crowd. They stuffed me into the back of a vehicle, and then they escorted us off of campus with two motorcycles, their lights flashing in front of us. Uh, and this is why, because this is fascism at work. This is, fa this is the kind of fascism you're going to be seeing increasingly. The ideological fascism of the students pushed by the administrative fascism of the state. So what you have here is a big protest, almost a riot, happening because I'm speaking there. And what you see is all of these people you know, doing, doing this routine with the administration having told the police to stand down, having told the police to not do anything, not move the protesters, not clear a path. And this is how it's going to be, folks. This is how it's going to be. You remember back in Baltimore when there were the Baltimore riots and the mayor, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, said, we told the police to give them room to riot, basically? That's how it's going to be. It's going to be administrators, state actors, 
whipping up crowds into a frenzy, and then saying, okay, we just have to give you room to vent your emotions and violate other people's rights. We can't let students come in the room. We have to smuggle them in. We were to here, here's what I had to say. Well, let, let's, let's actually do the, um, do we have the picture of the students blocking the entrance? Yeah, that, yeah so, that, so there's the picture of the students blocking the entrance. And we also have this report from KTLA5 on what was going on at, 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 CSU, at CSULA. It's insane. City allows a conservative talk show host to give a speech. This is the KTLA 5 News at 3. I'm Glenn Walker. And I'm Lou Parker. We do begin with that breaking news on the campus of Cal State LA in East Los Angeles. Hundreds of students and protesters have gathered outside the auditorium where conservative talk show host Ben Shapiro just finished a speech. KTLA 5's Chris Wolf live on the campus with more. Chris. Yeah, you guys, we're just outside the Student Union Theater. We're keeping a slightly safe distance from the crush of people, that crowd inside. To be honest, this was one of the most intense and uncomfortable situations I found myself in recently. To say the situation inside that theater was tense was simply an understatement. People were screaming and shouting and getting into each other's faces. They got into our faces simply because we were there. I should note, though, we did not witness any outward signs of violence or physical contact. That doesn't necessarily mean that did not happen. It's just that we did not observe that. Take a listen and look at what happened. People shouting things like racist go home. We are not the problem. Well, we gave you the background at 1.30. We'll give you more background right now. A conservative author and commentator is speaking at the student union today on the topic entitled, When Diversity Becomes a Problem. The president of this university canceled the speech, then relented late today, saying his initial action was based on security concerns surrounding the appearance of Ben Shapiro. The conservative student group Young Americans for Freedom organized the event and invited Mr. Shapiro here today. We found a crush of people outside the theater's main entrance. We never got inside that theater, and crowds quickly covered every single entrance or exit that we could see. I expected to see a larger police presence than what I observed outside the auditorium this afternoon. We saw young people, students of all races, people from various activist groups, and possibly from all walks of life form a crush of people outside the main entrance to that student union okay, theater. Okay, so that's enough. So and that's, also, that's what it, said, that's what it looked like, and that's how it felt. It was ex extraordinarily intense. All for little old me, because I'm such a giant racist, obviously, because the white supremacists love me. I'm just my, I'm their favorite person. Check my mentions at Twitter right now. See how much the white supremacists love me. They just adore me, uh, because there's nothing they like better than an anti-racist Jew. That's their favorite thing, the white supremacists. It's just... Well, what this speaks to is, number one, the level of ignorance of the students who've never heard anything about me, don't know anything about me, except what their, their disgusting, racist, pathetic professors tell them. Uh, and two, that the left has no interest in hearing other points of view. They were free to come in the theater. They could have come in and asked questions. I'm happy to do that. I've debated people from the other side routinely on the issue of race. If you want to see one of those videos, just go to YouTube and watch me debate people from the NAACP. We did that in Seattle last year. It was fine. It was all good. It was very friendly. This is how it goes for the left. All the left cares about is shutting down speech. So here's what it looked like when I came back out and I said to all of the students, we can't go out there because of safety concerns. I, can't, I, was, I was very angry, to say the least, about this situation. I have been told by campus police that it is literally a threat to life and limb to go out there. I've, told that, I've been told that they can't personally guarantee my security or any of your securities if you go out there right now. Well, not fine with me, because I don't want to see anybody get hurt or killed out there 
are totally not the good guys. So if that's the case, here's what's going to happen. I actually have to take a secret way out, seriously, with police escort. This is America, 2016. It's un unbelievable. Okay, and, uh, and then the assumption by the cops is, the assumption by the police officers is, that these crowds will eventually disperse and you'll have a safe way out. I've been told that if you try to get out right now, you could be in a situation where you walk up behind these people and they refuse to let you out. They'll stop any active, active battery upon you, they'll stop people from punching you, or they'll, they'll act after someone has punched you more likely because they can't see the future. Um, but, you know, but they can't guarantee that if you go out right now, you're actually going to be safe. So, I mean, for folks who are watching this online, for people who know what's going on nationally, this is America now. This is America now. Okay? And this is not a matter of cowardice for not stepping into a mob of 300 angry people out there. The cowardice is this administration that allows this garbage and evil to go on right here on American soil. experience. So there's your update on what happened there, and this is America now. Okay, what happens there, that's just the start. It's going to come to your school, it's going to come to your neighborhood, it'll come to your city, because the left will not sleep unless they have silenced opposing points of view. This is what is at stake in our politics right now. Okay, so time for a couple of things that I like, and then a couple of things that I hate. So as I mentioned before, um, the the we may have to go to Cleveland to cover the Republican National Convention, which is just going to suck. But uh, in, in case you don't know what, what Cleveland is like, Here's what Cleveland is like. Here's the Cleveland tourist video number one uh, by some guys who live in Cleveland. Fun times in Cleveland today. Cleveland. Come on down to Cleveland town, everyone. Come and look at both of our buildings. Buy some food that's prepared near the street. Who knows you might even see this guy. You should come on down to West 6th Street. It's the perfect place if you're a douchebag. Watch the poor people all wait for buses. Who the still uses a payphone? Here's the place where there used to be industry. <laughs> this train is carrying jobs out of Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland leads the nation in drifters. Here's a statue of Moses Cleveland. He's the guy who invented Cleveland. Yeah! So those guys made that video, and then um, they decided they weren't satisfied with that attempt, so they made Cleveland video <laughs> part two. Here it is. Fun times in Cleveland again. Still Cleveland. 
Come on down to Cleveland Town, everyone. Under construction since 1868. See our river that catches on fire. It's so polluted that all our fish have AIDS. We see the sun almost three times a year. This guy has at least two DUIs. The flats look like a Scooby-Doo ghost town. Don't slow down in East Cleveland or you'll die. Our economy's based on LeBron James. <laughs> Buy a house for the price of a VCR. Our main export is crippling depression. We're so retarded that we think this is art. It could be worse, though. At least we're not Detroit. We're, we're not, not Detroit. Detroit. So yeah, I look. I can't wait for the RNC. It's just gonna be too much fun. That'll just be happiness. Okay, so time for some things that I hate. So we'll spend just a couple of minutes here. I know we're over time, but it, there's been a lot going on, to say the least. So the Oscars happened on Sunday. I can honestly say I watched zero minutes of this live, which made my life much better because, as you can tell, there's a lot that makes me angry lately, and I can't imagine why. I mean, it's not like the world is going up in flames. As I said to Lindsay and Candace and, and Jeremy this morning. I said, you know, if Trump sweeps tomorrow, that will make this the worst day in at least the last three days because <laughs> it's just like every day, man, every single day. So Sunday was the Oscars, and um, and the Oscars were just they, – they were crap. Um, they, I, I've seen Spotlight, which won Best Picture. I talked about it on the show. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a good film. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that the that, – that doesn't mean that the Oscars – you know, aren't liberal tripe. And they really went overboard this year because of the Oscars So White campaign. Oh, there aren't enough black people in the Oscars. Okay, again, there's not a single black performance that should have been nominated that wasn't. Hey, Will Smith in Concussion, there's nothing going on there. Hey, Idris Elba was good in Beast of No Nation. Only one problem. Beast of No Nation is not eligible for Oscars since it was never released in theaters. So that means that your choices for black nominees were Michael B. Jordan in Creed, okay, or... Presumably, you know, whatever is the latest Tyler Perry flick that, that no one white has ever seen. So so all of this is very exciting. So Chris Rock was hosting the Oscars, and he felt the necessity to, to talk about racism. What's amazing is that Hollywood gets called racist, then it throws itself an evening to sort of pat itself on the back for how they're super not racist after being called racist. So here's Chris Rock mocking them, but they're so tolerant and wonderful. And by the way, does anyone recognize, when was the last time Chris Rock was relevant? It's been, like, at least five years since Chris Rock was relevant. I mean, last I checked, wasn't he doing those movies with Jackie Chan, or was that – is that that's not Chris Rock. Who's that? That's, that's another funny black guy. Chris Tucker. Okay, Chris Tucker. So I don't even know what Chris Rock has been in lately. So – and, and he's, he, he keeps getting his job stolen by Kevin Hart. So in any case, here's, here's Chris Rock at the Oscars last night. Rock in the white tuxedo. Here we go. Why are we protesting – that's the, the big question. Why this Oscars? Why this Oscars, you know? It's the 88th Academy Awards. It's the 88th Academy Awards, which means this whole no black nominees thing has happened at least 71 other times. Okay? You gotta figure that it happened in the 50s, in the 60s. You know, like, you know, in the 60s, one of those years, Sydney didn't put out a movie. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there were no black nominees some of those years, say 62 or 63, and black people did not protest. Why? Because we had real things to protest at the time. You know? We had real things to protest. You know, it's too busy being raped and lynched to care about who won best cinematographer. 
You know, when, you, when your grandmother's swinging from a tree, it's really hard to care about best documentary foreign short. Okay, but so what happened this he, year? He goes along, he goes along uh, on this rant, and the idea is that now we should really care deeply about what happens to black people at the Oscars because the, the, the black people in America who really suffer, it's just, a, it's just a, a sign that black people are suffering, that they don't win little meaningless gold statuettes. It's, it's very important. So that was part of the evening was the, was the race jokes and Hollywood isn't black enough, whatever that's supposed to mean. And he did make one good joke at one point. He said, you know, if we really want to have more black nominees, we should just have a separate category, like best actress and best, and best actor. It should be best black person in a film. And, you know, of course, mocking that idea, which is, which is exactly correct. Whoopi Goldberg and Tracy Morgan, by the way, skewered diversity in 2016 also. They did a little, uh, a little film parody montage that looked like this. Sorry. You're Joy. I'm Joy. Come on. Go. Go. Um. It's not rocket science. It's a mop. Just say something. Sorry. These lights are so bright. Um. Oh, my God. Tell her to say something about the mop. Talk about the mop. Say something. Maybe one day they'll make a movie about a skinny white lady who invented a mop. Of course, a black girl would have to invent a cure to cancer before they even give her a TV movie. Oh, my God. But hey, I'm not mad, because I know how to play the game. Joy. called you twice, then I called you 16 times. You should have called me back. <laughs> Look at me, a black thespian starring his first dream of the road. I'll tell you what's a PR problem. Spending 2,500 white dollars to save one black astronaut. We'll all be out of jobs. What? White dollars? Yeah, but I don't... I don't really see a black astronaut. Do you see a black astronaut anywhere? I don't see a black astronaut. No black astronauts here. I'm right here, m Oh, gosh. You want to get lunch? Oh, yeah. What about some pho? I haven't eaten since June. Hey, where you going? See, told you they weren't gonna bring you back. Hey, Moppy, could you help me? Okay, Kiss so, my... so this is this is the shtick, right? So the black people they have it so rough. Again, this sort of undermines sort of the argument a little bit because, like, Eddie Redmayne, presumably it looks like a terrible movie, but Eddie Redmayne is probably a better actor in The Danish Girl than than Tracy Morgan would be, right? I mean, if they're if that's an, I don't think that's the point they're trying to make, but it's sort of the point they end up making. By the way. Whoopi Goldberg gets featured there, and it's just it shows you how ridiculous Hollywood is. Whoopi Goldberg gets featured there in the black people have it so rough in Hollywood business. Whoopi Goldberg is worth a fortune, right? So is Tracy Morgan. All those people, they're worth a fortune. They're worth so much money. And then 
And then there's this there's this routine where Joe Biden trots out for no reason at all. Joe Biden just shows up because what would a what would a major TV event be without a member of the Obama administration? I told uh, our celebrities have become politicians and our politicians have become celebrities. They're the same class. And so Joe Biden comes out to talk about sexual assault. Nothing like creepy Joe Biden who can't keep his hands off women coming out there to talk about sexual assault and do a little bit of virtue signaling to everybody. I hate rape. Yeah, Joe, congratulations. So do we all. But except, except apparently for your, your Democratic frontrunner who enables the rapes that her husband does. You know, that, that you're okay with. But here is Joe Biden and Lady Gaga, who's just a gross human, doing this routine. Well, oh, we all have to stand against rape. We all have to stand. And then I will point out something that basically collapses this entire argument from Hollywood. So here we go. Good evening. Good evening, and thank you very much. Despite significant progress over the last few years, too many women and men on and off college campuses are still victims of sexual abuse. And tonight, I'm asking you to join millions of Americans, including me, President Obama, the thousands of students I've met on college campuses, and the artists here tonight, to take the pledge, a pledge that says, I will intervene in situations when consent has not or cannot be given. Let's change the culture. We must and we can change the culture so that no abused woman or man, like the survivors you will see tonight, ever feel they have to ask themselves, what did I do? They did nothing wrong. Who's okay? So let me pause it there. So who's 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 spending this time going around saying that that rape survivors did something wrong? Is there who are these people? Have you seen them? I haven't seen them. And my stated position, as I've said many times on this program, is that rapists should either be executed or castrated. So I'm pretty I'm pretty harsh on rape. Turns out I actually think rape is worse than murder. So rape is evil, 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 evil. I don't know who he's talking about, but this that Biden tweeted out afterward. I'm so brave, and Lady Gaga is so brave, and we're all, yes, nothing says bravery quite like standing in front of a bunch of spoiled millionaires talking about problems that you have nothing to do with that, while, while being feeded for. That's true bravery. That's true bravery. Joe Biden doing this is true bravery. It's, just, it's amazing. And what I said that, that destroys this utterly, you remember that previous segment, the one with Whoopi Goldberg, you know, talking about how black people have it hard? You know what Whoopi Goldberg had to say about Roman Polanski raping little girls? You happen to remember this? On The View, she was asked about Roman Polanski raping a 13-year-old girl. Roman Polanski was given an Oscar by these same people, right? And what did she say about that? She said, oh, well, it wasn't rape-rape. Right? She was drunk, and she, and she was maybe consenting. We don't know. It wasn't rape-rape. That's what Whoopi Goldberg had to say about that. So the same people who are doing this routine enable Roman Polanski. There's a whole question about child abuse in Hollywood. They made a documentary about the amount of child rape in Hollywood. So... It's all this self-congratulatory virtue signaling nonsense over at the Oscars, and it's just really ridiculous. And then finally, we'll end with, we'll skip Stacey Dash. Stacey Dash showed up in what was kind of an ill-thought-out attempt to make a joke about how she'd ripped on Black History Month. But we'll go straight to Leonardo DiCaprio, who showed up to finally pick up his Oscar. Because nothing, you know, a man who really has suffered as much as Leonardo DiCaprio has in his life, a man who was born into good looks and wealth and and unending streams of beautiful women sleeping with him. It, it really is what he lacked in his life and what we all, what I think changed America yesterday is that this guy now has a little gold statue he can call his own. All it took was him being mauled by a bear for that to happen. So here's Leonardo DiCaprio doing that and then lecturing the rest of us, as always. Here we go. 
Making the Revenant was about man's relationship to the natural world, a world that we collectively felt in 2015 as the hottest year in recorded history. Our production needed to move to the southern tip of this planet just to be able to find snow. Climate change is real. It is happening right now. It is the most urgent threat facing our entire species. And, and we need to work collectively together and stop procrastinating. We need to support leaders around the world who, who do not speak for the big polluters of the big corporations, but who speak for all of humanity. Okay, we can pause it. The, the big polluters, people. the big corporations, this dude's going to get on his private jet and go to his private yacht where he's going to sail around the world on his private water ski. And then he's going <laughs> to come on, come on. And, and in the big corporations, he's sitting in like the Kodak theater, right? In the middle of, of Los Angeles with Warner Brothers and Miramax and all these massive corporations in the audience. How does he think these things get done? Magic? First of all, I, I always think that it's kind of ridiculous to give actors awards because you can give them awards for acting, but all actors do is make faces, and particularly movie actors. They don't even have to memorize the entire play. They memorize one scene, and then they make faces. And okay, it's a living. Okay, I'll give you that. It's a living. Congratulations. You know, you're, you're good at what you do. But I don't want to hear you talk your own talk. Like, the, the thoughts that come out of your face that come from your brain, I don't care about those. I like the ones that come out of, like, David Mamet's brain, right? The thoughts that you say that come out of, the like, Aaron Sorkin's brain, those are more interesting to me than the thoughts that come out of this empty-headed bubble moron, his head. I mean, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, what do I, why would I possibly care what this actor has to say about things? Unfortunately, we live in a culture of ubiquity, and so because you see his face all over the place, you take him more seriously than you otherwise would. Okay, final point, and then we'll sign off because I know we're super long. J.J. Abrams is... Now now that he did a good job with the first Star Wars movie, which I enjoyed, he's about to ruin the next ones. Here's what J.J. Abrams had to say. Thursday night at the Oscar Wilde Awards, which is hosted at Abrams' Bad Robot headquarters, Abrams said he would love to continue to promote inclusivity in the series by introducing gay characters. He said, when I talk about inclusivity, it's not excluding gay characters. It's absolutely about inclusivity. So, of course... To me, the fun of Star Wars is the glory of possibility. It seems insanely narrow-minded and counterintuitive to say there wouldn't be a homosexual character in that world. So, what, are we going to get like Jar Jar on, on Admiral Akbar action now? If is, is it interspecies action, or is it going to be like male on male within the same species? How's this going to work? The, the rumor was, and this would just, it's never going to happen. I'll tell you exactly what they're going to do. What they'll do is they'll introduce some peripheral character who makes some vague reference to being gay, and that'll please the glad. That'll please the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. They'll say that it's a groundbreaking thing to have a gay character in this series. They're not going to make a central character gay because they know that when I bring my kids to the movies, I don't want to be hit with that. And I won't show my kids movies that glorify homosexuality. Right? As a religious person, I'm not going to do that. They know that. And they know that Star Wars is a kid's movie. So they won't do that. Instead, they'll sort of end around it. The rumor was originally, supposedly, that, that John Boyega, the guy who plays the Black Stormtrooper, and Oscar Isaac, who plays the kind of Hispanic-looking pilot, uh, that, that they were going to get together, which is just absurd. I mean, if they do that, George Lucas can have the series back if they do that. Because like, no, one, no one wants to see that. No one is even mildly interested in that. Plus, it undercuts the whole romantic arc. Like, is John Boyega supposed to be bisexual? I mean, clearly he's going after Daisy in the, in the film, right? Clearly he's going after Daisy Ridley, the, the first female Jedi. So... The whole thing is ridiculous, but everything has to be infused with politics in Hollywood. All of these things have to be infused with politics in Hollywood. And it's really just, it's sad and pathetic. And it should remind you that this is a culture war and that we're all part of this, this culture and society together and they're intent on, on ruining it.
Okay, we'll go out with this. Um, I wanted to do this last week, and I've been waiting three days, so I'm not going to wait any longer. I can't hold off any longer. Rihanna has a song called Work. Okay, we'll play a little bit of Work. Here's what Work is. As you can see, very classy. Work, 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 work. It's a me, I be work, 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 work. It's a me, do me, da, 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 da. So basically, she's dancing around. And this is, this is, these are great lyrics, important lyrics. It's really terrific music. So I think that this deserves a dramatic read. So here's a dramatic read. Can we have some, some Mozart? Thank you. Work by Rihanna. Work, work, work. Work, work, work. He said me hafi. Work, work, work. Work, work, work. He see me do me. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Dirt, dirt, dirt. So, me put in. Work, 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 work. Work, work. When you agoo. Learn, 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 learn. Man is If him. Hurt, hurt, hurt. Hurt, hurt. Ing. That is the first stanza from Rihanna's work. I hope that you enjoyed that little ditty. I have no idea what any of that means. Uh, literally, I have no idea what a single word of that means, except, well, let's see. I know what work is. I know what dirt is, but I don't think they mean the same thing I think they mean in this song. So, so, so in other words, we're now speaking foreign languages in our popular music. Yes, we may be on the downhill of society. So after you finish this, go watch Clavin. He'll tell you everything's fine. He'll lie to you. He'll tell you the unicorns are flying and the rainbows are everywhere and it's all good. Yeah, I know. I know. But we'll be back tomorrow, we hope. And it'll be before the polls open uh, or close in all of these various states. So we'll talk about things other than the impending victory of the great man, the strong man, the great tyrant Trump. And, um, and we'll sit together, we'll contemplate the end of the world. Don't worry, guys. As I've said before, when the tyrants come, the good news is that since you know me, since you want to join my, if you want to join our movement, by the way, it's B. Shapiro Daily Wire. Lindsay will email you back. We've been inundated. Um, but if you want to join the movement, do that. And definitely do it so that we're all registered, so that when they put us in the gulag together, then we can all hang out together. I can still do the show. You won't pay me, but we'll just sit there, and I'll sit on like a wooden platform in the stocks, and you'll all sit there in the audience and, uh, and, and try not to look at me, because if you look me straight in the eye, then the guards come and beat you to death, you know, that kind of thing. It'll be plenty of fun. <laughs> An uplifting Monday show for you there. <laughs> I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> 'll we'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your gut and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.